one of the great narratives when you read the gospel is how Jesus uh, he chose a terrorist, he chose an IRS agent, and he chose some fishermen. And over a period of three years, he made them shepherds. And I'm greatly delighted, as you could tell from the last couple of weeks, really excited about today. We have the privilege of having with us to bring God's word to us. A man who was once a lost lamb that the shepherd went and found. Uh, he was a lost coin, and uh, he was, the house was swept till he was discovered. But uh, he was a prodigal son that the father welcomed home. And uh, Brother Scott is an unusual story. His father and my father were uh, fellow ministers. Uh, they were friends and all of that. God called Scott out of ranching um, into pastoring. And over a two-decade period of time in Mitchell, Nebraska, population 1,700, God raised up what we called uh, the Mitchell Miracle, a church of over 1,500 people regularly worshiping Jesus because Scott is, first of all, a man of God. He is a man of God's word, and he is a man of prayer. Would you please welcome my good friend, Scott Mathis. Good morning. It's great to be with Faith this morning. I love this church. I've prayed for you, and uh, it is a joy. I'm now the president of the Berean Fellowship of Churches. Travel to a different church every weekend, inspiring and influencing God's people to pursue Christ's plan for their life. So I love uh, the body of Christ. I used to not. I used to think Christians were a bunch of wackos and weirdos. I hated Christians. I grew up, as Pastor Tom said, uh, in a Christian family. My real dad was a pastor, godly, amazing man, amazing teacher of the word. Unfortunately, there were people in the church who didn't like my dad, and so they were mean to me as a little. And because they were mean to me, I began to think this God my dad teaches about isn't loving and kind because I see these people being mean to me. And then, and then in, in addition to that, some things began to happen to me sexually as a little boy. And when you're a little boy of eight and nine years old and things begin to happen to you sexually, you don't know how to process that. And so I became very angry. I found solace in my horses, spent a lot of time alone riding. And I began to have an attitude I hated school. My third grade teacher, in frustration one day, said, Scott, you're so stupid. And I believed her. She told me I was stupid, so I was stupid. I became one of those kids that just got passed on to the next grade, mainly because the teachers didn't want to deal with me. They could not figure out this angry little boy. My poor parents, I'm in my real family there. I'm the last of eight kids. The other six that had lived were pretty good kids growing up, and then they deal with me, and they were frustrated, and it was hard. I left home at age 14, went to cowboying on this big, huge ranch, 72,000 acres. I lived as a 14-year-old boy in a bunkhouse, was the jingle boy. I had to get up before everybody else and go gather a herd of geldings, and I saw and did and heard things that 14-year-old boys shouldn't see or hear or do. By God's grace, after knocking around for about a year, a family, my second family, 
took me in. And they didn't get a lot of things right on some levels, but they got that I needed grace and love. And they literally changed my life by loving me and showing grace to me. So I have two families. I have two sets of parents. And in my second family, I got two sisters and a little brother. They were God's grace to me, but I still was far from God. They helped straighten me out academically. I ended up going to the University of Wyoming on an honor scholarship. I walked on and played basketball there. But I majored in history at the University of Wyoming to disprove Christianity because there was a, I mean, hatred in me for Christians. If I found out you were a Christian, I began to ridicule you. I said Jesus was just a myth. I said that how can you believe in that Bible when it's so full of contradictions? And I would point out some alleged uh, contradictions in the Bible. And most Christians would just melt under my wrath and against my remonstrations against what I said were inconsistencies in the Bible. And they would just stutter and stammer and say, well, you just got to have faith. And I would scorn them and ridicule them. Unfortunately, in my freshman year in college, I discovered alcohol. After my first drink, I became an instant alcoholic. I'm one of those people that somehow when I drink alcohol, I have no shutoff valve. And I drank and I drank. I remember going to one ancient history class at the University of Wyoming and you get the syllabus back then and you got the list of expensive books to buy. And one of the books they told me to buy was a Bible. I went up to the professor afterwards and said, I'm here to disprove that stuff. Why do I have to buy a Bible? Now, why would I be mad about having to buy a Bible? And the professor said something very amazing. He said, you know, I'm not one of them Bible thumpers. But let me tell you, we used to go archaeologically and dig in the ancient Far East to disprove the Bible, and now we're reading the Bible to find out where to dig. There is a unique historical accuracy in that book, and I began to think, wow, I'm here to disprove this stuff, and now I have a secular professor saying there is something unique about this book. But I persisted in my alcoholism in my self-centeredness and in my anger. My junior year, her senior year, I met a girl in the bar. Her name was Diane. She was one of the volleyball players at University of Wyoming. I knew who she was because I'd seen her in the paper. As a walk-on basketball player who barely made the JV team, I never made the Laramie Boomerang, let me tell you. But this girl was something I loved her athleticism. I loved that she was wild and seemingly carefree. And I began to hit on her and fell in instant lust with her. And four days later, we moved in together. And a little bit after that, she came to me with this little thing of that she'd peed on that changed colors and said she was pregnant. And my response was, get an abortion. I had no desire to marry her. She wasn't my type. She was just someone who I was using, someone who was fun to party with. 
But she was pregnant, and she looked at me, and she said, I can't. I can't get an abortion. So I got drunk and said, let's get married. Great way to begin a marriage, let me tell you. Real romantic, huh? So we got married, and it was horrid. She's a leader. I'm a leader. We fought, but boy, we had this little girl. Her, we named her Courtney. And we fell in love with Courtney. But boy, we couldn't get along. A few years, three years passed, and I was just always off roping and drinking. I was trying to make a living roping and shoeing horses. And we ended up having a little boy. We named him Eldon Curtis Shane. I hoped he was mine. I didn't know for sure. And after a few months, Shane began to exhibit some real medical difficulties. And we spent months at Children's Hospital in Denver. He was born with this incredibly rare kidney disease and surgery and multiple, multiple hospitalizations. Many times we'd hand Shane over thinking he, we will never see him again. He will never live through this one. But Shane persisted. And little Courtney seemed from an early age to have this heart for God. We'd sit down at the table and, and she wasn't like she was going to Sunday school much or anything, but she'd say, we ought to pray before we eat. And we'd be like, I'd be like, where is that coming from? But Shane kept living, but Di and I kept drifting further and further apart. Not that we were ever that close to begin with. And five years into our marriage, Diane came to me one time. She was teaching school. She sat me down and said, Scott, let's get real here. This is ridiculous. Surely God wants us happy, and we can't be happy together. We are two different people. Let's get a divorce. And I, the angry, alcoholic, hater of Christians, said something that made both of our mouths literally drop open. I said, we ought to go to a Christian marriage counselor. I couldn't believe I said that. She had accepted Christ her freshman year in college, had never been discipled, did not grow up in much of a Christian home at all, but she knew that Christ was her savior. And her mouth drops open and mine drops open, and so we went. We went to this guy, and, and a few weeks later, and we walk in there, and I'm the big tough cowboy, or think I am, and here's this little diminutive man who kind of spoke effeminately, and he was just your counselor type. His name was Leland. And I'm big and tough and actually stupid and arrogant. And I look down at this little man with his weird clothing and think, what on earth am I doing here? What I didn't know was that Leland was a mighty man of God, a lion for Jesus. We sat down, and he began to talk, and he said, are you Christians? And I said, H, no. I hate Christians. I don't even know what I'm doing here. And Diane said, well, I'm a Christian, but I know I'm not a very good one. Now, I must tell you that my wife was bulimic in college. She was a division one college athlete. She had been used by men, including me. My wife was locked up emotionally. I had seen her cry one time in five years of marriage. 
Now, I hate to sound sexist, but most women at least tear up more than once every five years. She was tough and hard and mean. And she had to be to live with me. But in that office with Leland, Leland said, do you have anything you need to come clean about Diane as a Christian? And my wife began to weep, uncontrollable weeping. And she confessed sin after sin and confessed her life hidden from me, what she thought was hidden from me. And I got mad and I got up and I told Leland to go to hell and I told Diane to go to hell and I walked out and I was going to go get my pickup and leave her and drive the 50 miles home and get my horses and leave. I already had another woman in mind to go to. And I got down into that pickup and I stuck the key in the ignition. It had never done this before. It never did it again. And the key stuck in the ignition and wouldn't turn. And I, in a rage, was cussing and trying to turn that. If I remember correctly, I opened the hood, and I'm about as mechanical as that tree, and I probably kicked the tire or something. And I'm sitting there. I got back in the pickup, and I'm sitting there, and I'm jerking, and I'm doing this and everything, pulling the, the steering wheel. And all of a sudden, Diane and Leland appeared and Diane slipped into the pickup. Leland was going to give her a ride home because they thought I'd left. And Diane, literally's face was changed even though it was swollen from crying. There was something different about my wife. And she said, Scott, we could make this work. Let's not get a divorce. And I told her bad words and to die. And the pickup started, and I drove home and it was like a crazy man. Again, going to get the kids, get my horses, leave my wife and kids, and go to a new life. And I got home, and we looked, get picked those kids up from daycare, and I thought, well, I, I can't leave them tonight. I'll stay one night. And my wife had changed. Scott, could I get you a cup of coffee? What? Scott, could, what would you like for supper? What? And so one night turned into two nights and three, and I couldn't leave them kids. And my wife, when I would pile on abuse for her sin, because I couldn't see my own fully then, when I would try to make her pay for her sin, would take it. And what we knew, now know, we didn't know then, she lived out 1 Peter 3. And several months went by, and f actually four months went by, and I, am, I had hurt my back, and I was, couldn't rope, and I lived to rope, and I was driving down the interstate taking my horses to summer pasture to turn them out for the summer because I couldn't rope. As I'm driving along through Debec Canyon on I-70 by Rifle, Colorado, I began to review in my mind how I had tried to disprove Christianity, saying that Jesus was just a myth. And as I had studied, and if I took an honest look at the historical record, Jesus really did exist. I remember thinking, man, how do I know that George Washington is the first president of the United States? 
I trust and believe and have read a historical record to believe that. And what I had discovered was that there was just as much historical evidence for Jesus Christ as there was for George Washington. And so I began to realize that Jesus is just not a myth. He really lived. And then I began to think, could he have died in my place? Could he have been buried in my place? Could he have been raised from the dead on the third day? Could I believe that God became man? I began to review in my mind how I had read the Bible to disprove it. Why did it produce this hatred in me when I read it? And yet this weird fascination that I needed to read it. Why did it have this visceral reactions in me? Could it be that God truly had written a book using human authors to, de to reveal himself to mankind? And as I drove along, I began to have an honest, one of the few honest conversations with myself. And I began to realize that I was a sinner in need of a savior. And that the message I had heard my father preach for years could be applicable to me. That because of God's grace, he could redeem me. He could save me. And so, as I'm driving along on the interstate through a construction zone, I said, I give up God. I give up. And ladies and gentlemen, Jesus Christ saved Scott Mathis that day. He transferred me from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. He threw all my sins, past, present, and future, into the deepest sea. He purchased me off the slave block of sin and set me free. And my life, my life has never been the same. I've now been all over the world preaching the gospel of Christ Jesus. It wasn't long before Diane and I moved, and what we did was we were pretty, um, you know what? We fell in love then. Most people fall in love, and then after five years of marriage or so, they can't stand each other, and they have to re-fall in love. We, we weren't in love ever. And then five years into our marriage, through Jesus, we fell in love. And my wife is sitting right there, and I hate to embarrass my introverted wife, but just raise your hand, honey. That is Diane. That is one of the most amazing women of Christ you'll ever meet. Her and that daughter who I wanted to abort go all over the country doing women's conferences. You ought to have them do a women's conference here. They're amazing. We had told God that, because I was bound and determined that I would never raise my kids as preacher's kids. So we told God, we're going to raise our kids on the ranch, and then I'm going to go to seminary and become a pastor. Thank you very much, God, and don't bother us for the next 18 years. We're so proud of ourselves for our delayed obedience to God's call in our life. But Mitchell Berean Church, a little church that was thinking of closing, 25 people with no pastor, called my dad and said, do you know of anybody who could fill the pulpit this Sunday? The guy who was going to fill had something come up and can't. Do you know of anybody? They were desperate. So I went down to preach two years after getting saved. I preached this sermon. 
said we'd be dismissed, and two of the elders came down the middle of the aisle with their arms around each other crying. I thought, my goodness, was the sermon that bad? They came up to me and they said, we want to repent. We know we're a legalistic church. We know we're not reaching this community for Christ. And would you become our pastor? And these two dear brothers having this amazing encounter with the holiness of God and repentance got me laughing. I said, no way. I've only been a Christian two years. I'm going to raise my kids on the ranch. Then I'm going to seminary. Then I'm going to become a pastor. And they said, well, would you fill in? until we can find a pastor. So we drove the 80-some miles from the ranch down every Sunday, and we filled in eventually for 19 years. And as Pastor Tom said, it became the miracle in Mitchell. And God saved amazing amounts of people. We, we decided early on, what we discovered was that the Christians who came to faith in Jesus who were involved in some uh, in authentic Christian community were the ones who grew and became um, so amazing in, their, in, their, in, in Christ. The ones who just went to church on Sunday morning were the ones who remained stilted, uh, emotionally uh, unhealthy, uh, spiritually unhealthy. And so we became what we called being a two-legged church. One leg was corporate worship. We think that we, thought we believed and still strongly believed that, that was necessary to gather corporately and declare the worth of God. But most Christians are trying to hop along on one leg. They go to church on a Sunday morning or a Saturday night, and, and that's their kind of their sum total of their spiritual uh, nourishment. And so they're trying to walk with Jesus on one leg, just hopping along. So we discovered that if we could get people in authentic Christian community and what we called life groups, that those people ended up walking with Christ and becoming the people he created them to be. And so we decided we were going to be a church of two-legged Christians because we're a two-legged church. We wanted people walking with Christ. And we literally had hundreds of life groups. And it was amazing to see. After 19 years, then God called us to plant a church for unchurched people in a town called Torrington, Wyoming. We started Sunrise Church. God did amazing things. We were there five years. And then five years ago, uh, the Berean Fellowship asked if I would become president, which is hilarious. I still have never been to Bible school or seminary. Um, I, I am the la least one you would expect. I'm still pretty ranchy and cowboy. And I'm probably not going to change that unless God asked me to. And, uh, but now, here I am. And for some reason, I'm here at Faith Bibles, one gathering. And our response to our encounters with God have amazing influence on our life. And some of you, I've been on my knees this week begging the spirit of the living God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead to work in every one of your lives. Some of you are hardened spiritually. Some of you are here as a critic. Some of you are here as consumers, and you are not encountering the holiness and grace of God. And you need to repent. And you need to get the fire back by letting Christ live through you. Some of you are here, and your worries and doubts and politics have so interfered with your intimacy with Christ that if someone doesn't agree with you, you're just 
dismissive of them. You've adapted the tribalism of our culture more than the humanity and godliness of Christ. And some of you might be here and you've never responded in faith to Jesus Christ. And you face a Christless eternity in hell. If you don't today, in simple faith, say, Christ, I believe that I'm a sinner, separated from a holy God, but you, Christ, died for me and were buried for me and rose from the dead for me. And some of you need to place your faith in Jesus Christ today. Some of you are here and you've been raised in the evangelical movement and you hear a story like mine and think, man, he's sure messed up. What a sinner. Yeah, I am. But your poop stinks just as bad as mine. Even though you might be homeschooled or, or, and raised and got saved at four. My friends, the ground truly at the foot of the cross is level. Your sin might look different than mine, but it's still separating you from a holy God. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ today and you will be saved. I beg you if you haven't, become a Christ one to do that today. I want you to know that God is still in the business of saving people. Di and I marvel still at the grace and the power of Jesus Christ to take two broken people and save us and rescue us and turn our hearts soft towards God. We marvel still at the miracle of grace. And I would encourage you to marvel at the miracle of grace in your life today. Father, thanks. Thanks for those ones who are even fighting you right now. They know and they're nervous and they wish I would just shut up. But they know that, God, you are wooing and calling them. And may they see that your kindness is leading them to repentance, Lord, that their mind somehow, through the miracle of your Spirit's work, is changing their mind like you did my mind back in March of 1990. And they are saying, yes, I give up, God. Rescue me, redeem me, save me from my sin. For those ones who are here, who are hardened, who've been Christians so long that they've lost the wonder, oh, Holy Spirit, resurrect them in a, in a new sense, a new way where they are excited about you, Christ, again. And God, I cry out to you for Lincoln. There's so many people here who don't know you, Jesus. I cry out for your spirit to bring conviction of people into people of sin and, and convincing that you truly are the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus, and, 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 and converting them, Lord. And Lord, I pray for your people that we would represent you well, that we wouldn't be hypocritical political junkies who are jerks, but that we would be people surrendered to your spirit allowing you, Spirit, to live through us and produce the fruit of Christ in us. Oh, God, I thank you for these precious people gathered today. Encourage their hearts, Jesus, wherever they're at. But take them on to you, Jesus. In your name I pray, amen.